In, in other words, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church, and the church became uh, that foundation base in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, last week we kind of talked about how that uh, the power of God, when it was poured out, uh, did an a amazing effect and continues to do effect upon us in causing us to become what is known as holy or godly people. And prior to the Holy Spirit being uh, manifested and poured out upon the church, there is always the way that uh, typically the faith was responded to is you, you choose and you obey and you follow and you trust and you do your part, whereas when the Holy Spirit was promised, we pretty much have a warranty that if you get connected to Jesus, you're going to change. Um, that's Pastor Terry's short condensed version. The problem with Pentecost is it doesn't always seemingly uh, do a nice job in cleaning us up. And uh, we looked at some of those aspects of what seems to uh, hinder the process and what you and I can do to enhance the process. And we mentioned about the importance of understanding what are those other ingredients that allow us to become a holy and godly people. Because you and I are well aware that how you and I respond to this work of the Holy Spirit and how we allow the Word of God to speak into our lives is going to have a huge bearing on the outcome of that process. So again, I want to look at uh, that concept of the promise of this power to be poured out and to touch upon it just briefly again uh, this morning. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we trust that as we uh, allow your truth to touch upon our minds and hearts today, we come to you humbly asking that you may bless us with another visit, that you might not only allow your spirit to uh, rest upon, excuse me, upon us as a people and a community, but energize us individually and personally in a way that we might be effective witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, last week, uh, particularly the areas that we focused upon on the importance of cooperating with the currents and the movement of the Holy Spirit are primarily uh, how we respond to God's Spirit in nudging us and directing us, particularly in two primary areas. And that is in the area of repentance, and the other is in baptism. Because the way change uh, begins to work in our lives is obviously God does all the change. He gets really credit for every aspect of change, but somehow that change works together with or in conjunction with how you and I allow the process or the work of repentance to take place. My concern quite often is sometimes we rush that process to where it doesn't really uh, transform us or allow us to break to the point where God does the rebuilding in life. In other words, 
we, we may have become accustomed to knowing the outcome before we get to the process. In other words, if you've been brought up in church or you've been exposed to many teachings on, on Pentecost or, or the teachings of faith in Christ, you and I might know uh, too much for that process to accomplish its work. What I mean by that is you and I know that the moment we accept Christ, we're already accepted. How many know that? The problem with knowing that answer before we get cleaned up or committed to Christ is we kind of condense it down to where we don't really have to be sorrowful for our sins. We don't really have to search the scriptures to find out how bad we are before God declares us good. Does that make sense? You and I must understand repentance is not really a thing we do. It's a new journey we enter into and process. And so typically the repentant process is not only more extensive than we sometimes consider it, but it never really quits. Does that make sense? In other words, the power of Pentecost is you and I are still repenting of all that life has entailed. As a matter of fact, the more and closer and longer we work with God, the more we realize how much we need a God to clean us up. It's possible that we could have been introduced to the quick fix kind of theology, and that is that we simply confess or admit or say, I want Jesus, and everything is kind of just solved. The problem is change usually doesn't happen for most any of us in one magical or powerful moment. Change is a long process, a long work of transformation. And so repentance, I trust, as we're still living and walking within that, God, continue to change my heart. Change my thinking, change the way I live, change the way I perceive life. And as in talking with some about some of the horrors of life, Am I willing to work through the anger, the frustration of a child whose life was taken? It's difficult to wrestle through some of the most bizarre issues of life, but all that is part of that change that happens in a heart that's learning to be tuned with God's purpose and plan. Because we can kind of get wrapped up in certain things and maybe short-circuit the process. Now, I don't want to beat ourselves up by this concept of repentance. That was my concern when I left last Sunday, wondering, where did we leave everybody hanging? You know, because we really don't want to celebrate getting beat up by God. But repentance really can't happen until it's broken. And that pride breaks and that process of breaking is probably the most awful experience in life. In, in, in the addictive community, it's, it's coming to the place where you make a moral and complete inventory of your life. When all the cards are laid out, when all the stuff is brought up, it's an awful process to look at where I've been and what I've done and what I've become, and I trust that we don't say, well, that's something simply the addictive world has to deal with. It's you and I on an everyday basis. Now, at the same time as that awful repentant experience, many of us know what it's like to stand on our feet after we've spilt our lives out at the altar and say this is the greatest experience and moment in life is I am finally free and the chains fell off. 
and we rose. And uh, that relationship with God is such a beautiful experience. But it's that valley of the repentant process that often creates a lot of confusion about the beauty of a changed life. Well, baptism, as we know, is the technical answer is, do you have to get wet to go to heaven? No. Well, what's the right answer? My purpose in life is to testify to the world what God has done. And if wet gets, looks stupid, I don't really care anymore. Because Jesus did it, and the Bible teaches that that is an aspect of what is called obedience. And it's part of the humbling process and the bold activating ingredients, I'm going to make a stand. Is it fair for you and I to believe we don't have to get wet when large parts of this world are being stoned, rejected, thrown out of their families all over the world because of baptism? And so we need to recognize that there are the right answers and there are the right realities. They are those experiences and those uh, activities that we engage in that allow Pentecost to become the power it was intended to be. And so those are some of the things we talked about. I didn't want to overkill it from last week. So um, let's move on. Acts chapter 1. We then uh, begin to uh, tie this together with Acts chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 36 uh, through 41. Acts chapter 2, 36 to 41. I read these last week and I'll read them again. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's interesting when we think about Pentecost power that quite often we think of, of what seemed to be the experiences of that early church community. And so we can try to, to go through the details of what all seems to have happened on that day when the Pentecost power became manifested. But it's interesting when you, you look at verse 41... It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. They accepted his message. Now, the message was the first recorded sermon that was preached by the apostles. In other words, the apostles began to to exercise their spiritual muscles. In other words, Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. And somewhere before he was crucified, he promised his disciples, particularly this guy, Peter, here's the keys to the kingdom. When we think of Pentecost power, we need to try to understand that though the power comes from the Spirit of God, that power does flow through the people of God. And we might 
think in terms of Pentecost as that which God does without us, or we begin to look at the biblical account and say that's what God does through us. There's a big difference, and yet uh, somehow we, we can kind of go back and forth and try to figure out the pieces or debate and argue the important thing is when people ask what happened to Pentecost, we need to try to understand God hasn't lost his muscles. The power is still there. The promises are still in detail. And so we can come up with many uh, rationale kinds of explanations. What's very important to understand is what that power looks like and how it flows through the people of God. Acts chapter 1, and you shall be what? My witnesses. And in this account, what happened is someone is witnessing and the power of God is happening. The power was demonstrated as those early followers of Jesus Christ put into action the very things that he promised that he would bless. Well, what's, when we think about that, this concept of believing in the message, it's important to understand that not everybody believed the message. Not everybody responded in a healthy and proper way to the message. That does not minimize the power of Pentecost. But the power can only be witnessed or understood or, or, or become applicable to us is if we indeed are believers of this message. It's believing that allows that power to come down upon us and begin to work through us and communicate it to the world. God's purpose, His strategy and plan is to not let power substitute people. The power is promised. But it's you and I humbly accepting our role, our purpose, our plan, as we talked about in Sunday school, exercising our gifts, stepping into whatever place God wants us to step into, that power flows in us and it flows through us. We sometimes get uh, many distorted views about that power and that's where the extremes have uh, begun to manifest themselves throughout history is because they seemingly are not focused on the right kind of thing. Again, this concept of believing I want to touch upon and, and look at some aspects of other scriptures that talk about the impact of believing or not believing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Because as we attempt to try to uh, consider how the Pentecost power begins to manifest itself and operate within the world in which you and I live in, it might be somewhat misleading to assume that the power is no longer at work. It's important to know that that power is operating constantly over and over again. How you and I touch that or are exposed to that or how we see it working, has to do with some of the deeper truths that are laid before us in the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now many of us have, have touched that power and may not even have realized it. The reason why it's often misleading 
is because sometimes we look for power in places other than conversion. We look for power as evidence and manifestation as the big power versus, well, the guy got saved. It's important to know that the message of the cross, that is where the power is at. The message of Jesus Christ and what he did in dying on the cross, being buried, solving the problem of my sins and promising redemption for my life, that is the power. It's easy for God to split rocks in half. It's easy for him to create a world. But for some reason, people are given free will. Think about it. How much power does it take to change a stubborn heart? We might say, well, God can do that anytime he wants. The truth is, he's not going to do what you and I are responsible to do ourselves. He will let us perish if that is what we so choose. The power is whether or not we can humbly believe and say, I'm going to trust this guy. We'd like to believe that Pentecost bypasses the will. We'd like to believe that somehow Pentecost will simply whip the world into submission. We somehow can somehow buy into concepts and principles or desire God to do what you and I are responsible to do. That message of the cross doesn't come because he prints it across the sky. That message of the cross comes through your lips and my lips. My hands and your hands. My feet and your feet. The message of the cross is not going to get to the hearts and lives of people unless you and I humbly say, Lord, send me. And until that message of the cross begins to change and transform who you and I are, you and I have potentially defused the very power we're waiting for. This is why it's important that we humble ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to clean us up so that we don't defile the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of God's grace, we're all able to be successful. But because of God's uh, warnings and teachings in Scripture, you and I realize that it's not simply grace that covers our mistakes, it causes us to say, I want to get this thing right. So one of the leading things that seems to hinder the, the effectiveness or the power of Pentecost is that we sometimes as a church might lose our focus on what the power is all about. It's about being a witness, a living testimony, a spokesman, a person who knows the message of the cross. Again, we can oversimplify it and try to condense it real down, or we can begin to see what did this power look like in the early church? How was this message transferred? How did it begin to take place and flow from, from believers to believers? In the midst of those who would not believe, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of resistance, in the midst of deceivers... All kinds of dynamics played within the early church. How did the power continue to get transferred? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We, uh, we read verses 36 down to 41. Well, the next verse gives us a clue. We'll read the next uh, three verses. Acts chapter 2 beginning with 42 down through 44. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and it continues to go on. What we need to recognize is that first ingredient that is mentioned there is what the power of that message is about, is the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you have a King James Version, you realize it says, devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. When I think of the difference between the word that is in my mind about teaching and doctrine, is like night and day difference. Teaching allows us to dabble anywhere in the Scriptures. It's all teaching. You can grab this one, you can grab that one, you can put that one and use that one. And sometimes we take promises that God has given to us and possibly totally take them out of context, but they sure do feel good when you you take a bite of them. You understand? They may not really apply, and as Vern reminds us all the time, we may not have met the conditions, but somehow we look at the promise and we hold it and cherish it, but you can't live on simply the chocolates or the freebies. You can't just look at all the benefits that God may give to you without what is called doctrine. Doctrine is the difference between trying to have my granddaughter at a very young age put together a puzzle. It wouldn't be fair to give her a 5,000-piece puzzle. You give her one that's got just a couple pieces, and she can manage to move them around and put them into place. But maturity should bring us to a place where we can handle at least a hundred-piece puzzle, if not a couple thousand-piece puzzle. Doctrine is the ability to take the pieces and make something beautiful out of that. And that's what you and I need to realize, is that the secret to the power of Pentecost has something to do with your passion to get all the pieces out of that book and put them all together. Uh, Gloria did a great job and Noel of uh, last Sunday on a, a missions emphasis in uh, Papua New Guinea, was it? Okay. And we saw the effectiveness of what real power looks like. And it t- took this long, extensive process of learning the language and the culture and then beginning to systematically work through the Scripture without telling them about Jesus until the whole backdrop was set. And the people, right before he shared Jesus Christ, they're excited, they're hungry, they're saying, there has to be an answer. And then they give them Jesus. And the crowd went wild in excitement of joy. Sometimes we know the answer at the end before we go through the process of the way doctrine prepares you for truth. It's important to know that if we are not familiar with Scripture, we're going to come out looking, not only looking different, we're going to come out believing power doesn't require a foundation. They committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That concept is used over and over again through Scriptures. My appeal to us is to begin with a question, because I'm going to run out of time before I get to any real direction of this, is have you come to a place in your life Where you want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if our appetite is simply for a shallow answer, our appetite is simply to grab the power without the foundation truth, you and I could easily not only be misled, but we may mislead an awful lot of people 
And ultimately, when the truth comes out, they might say, I already know that. You ever meet anybody like that? I already know that. You know they're not right with God. You know they're not even close to being right with God. But they could clearly tell you, I already know that. The power of Pentecost is supposed to have the ability to bring people to a place, a decision, and say, I want that. And if that information is simply spread in a general form, without the doctrinal foundation, we're going to raise up a generation that believes everything is fine and no power to change their life. We trust by God's grace we realize that we make foremost a decision to say, I want to know the truth, I want to know the whole truth, and I want to know nothing but the truth. Because it's the format or the foundation of that whole basis, including the Old Testament, which prepares us to give our hearts and lives in a way that the power of the gospel comes with punch. It comes with purpose. It comes with passion. It will truly change our lives. Or we can defuse it all by eliminating a lot of the truth, the whole truth, and assume we simply have Nothing but the truth. Um, it's interesting when we think about the terms of what that intended purpose is of what we call the gospel. What's it supposed to do? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm just going to read this one parable and then we'll cut it off and uh, we'll put that to be continued sign back up for next week. Matthew chapter 13. I, I simply want to reinforce that somehow we have a heart that hears. Somehow the truth is powerful. It potentially has the capacity to radically change lives. But Jesus himself clearly made it known how you hear and how you respond has a lot to do with the power of that truth. You would like to believe that Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost. That when Jesus taught, it had power. It had punch. And yet over and over again, we find people that resisted, they refused, all kinds of issues came into the play. The only way we can answer what happened to the power is the power is at work in you and I who believe. But a different kind of power of evil is taking the rest out because they do not believe. The power is not so much the show of fireworks. The power is changed lives. Over and over again, it's important to understand Jesus, when he teaches no doubt, he had power. Matthew chapter 13, what does he say about this? In verse, oh, we'll start with verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow, as he scattered seed. Some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root... Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred and sixty and thirty times what was sown. He who has ear to hear, let him hear. Drop down at verse uh, 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears, hears the message about the kingdom of God. Doesn't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what he has sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the paths. 
The one who has received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word. And at once he receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's important to understand Jesus had power. And he had Pentecostal power. And he had the ability to communicate truth in a way that it ought to accomplish what it ought to be. But he says there's a reality in life that sometimes truth does not accomplish what it's intended to do, not because of a lack of power, but because the condition of your heart and mine. The same power comes and manifests itself in someone who believes and someone who disbelieves. But ultimately, those who humbly say, it's not whether I feel it, it's whether or not I'm humble enough to say, Jesus You got me. As we think in terms of doctrine, we must recognize that that hearing is a description of receiving the whole Word of God. And so the hearing is about allowing truth to come, not simply a one-piece puzzle, but it's the whole box unloaded. And so we commit ourselves to becoming not only students of what the Scriptures teach, but we especially want to think about what we can learn so we have something to give. The power comes not in some outside form. It comes as the Holy Spirit puts His blessing on your ears and your heart and your hands and your feet. And so we share not simply a feeling gospel, but we share the gospel that was endorsed with the power of Pentecost. They believed the message, the truth. It wasn't simply Peter's nice words that did the job. And I certainly hope that you don't believe in any way it's my nice words that do the job. It's God has already put His approval on this word. And it's this word that will change lives. I might try to encourage you. I might try to persuade you. I might overdo it or underdo it, but the power is not in my words. It's His words flowing through me. The secret to the power of God is not so much to look for something extreme or large or big, but it's simply to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we journey on in life, we would realize the beauty and richness of Your Word that not only it is given to us in a way so that your anointing can flow through and upon these words, but we pray, God, that we would be willing to learn them and understand them so the seed could plant and the fruit could flow. We pray, O God, as we look in terms of the issues and the problems and challenges of life all around us, there's people's lives are literally falling to pieces. And you've allowed us to be somewhat aware of some of them. We're exposed to them. We're connecting with them. We pray that we might be able to teach them how that they too can experience 
everything you did in our lives, we pray that it would come out of the Scriptures. Give us the courage to begin a new kind of journey, a new kind of commitment, a new kind of devotion to what is written will accomplish its purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all, and we'll uh, see you next week. i got quite a few more notes here. If you come back next week, I can share some more of these with you. (laughs) Have a good day.